All right, so we're in this series called Truth Has No Boundaries, and we're we're talking about world religions. We've been in it for six weeks. This is our seventh week, and the first six weeks we spent exclusively on the Abrahamic religions of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And this week we move a little bit further east, and we'll continue to move east for the rest of this series, and we're going to talk about Hinduism. Can they see this? Ooh, yeah. You know where that is? It's my favorite graphic from the series so far. Whitney did a beautiful job. Ladies and gentlemen, Whitney Esquivel. She always does amazing Great work. Work. The what, best work. Spencer? Spencer, where is this? India? <laughs> yes. Technically. That's exactly right. I think this is the Batu Caves, um, which is in Malaysia, maybe outside of Kuala Lumpur. A little bit and there was actually kind of a controversy when they painted this because like the national historic registry that they have was not entirely happy with that because it wasn't exactly historic um and that was kind of controversial but there's like 278 steps i think i'm close there that take you to the top um of this space and i think when we posted it yeah uh, Ginger, now I'm looking back in the comments. She did Sorry. like a squats workout on it or something. Yeah, I think she, she said she she went there and they did. They could host the CrossFit Games <laughs> there. Mm. But it's a really beautiful space, and the complexity that you see in that design and mm-hmm. all the colors, the magnificence. I love there, the colors. It really represents. The diversity and the complexity of the faith tradition that we're going to talk tonight, which is the faith tradition of Hinduism. And I think this is the hardest message to give, just in terms of trying to condense the material, in part because Hinduism is so old, and also in part because the writing that's involved in this faith tradition is enormous. Yeah, they don't have just like one book. It's enormous. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. But let's set some goals for ourselves for tonight. Because there's such a vast space here to cover. This is what we're going to try to learn and focus on. We want to talk about the history of the region where this religion comes out of. We want to acknowledge and talk a little bit about the important writings the spiritual framework for Hinduism, the Hindu gods, uh, a little bit, we couldn't cover all of them, and the caste system. And along in all of this, we're going to talk about things like reincarnation and karma and things like that. So this is our timeline that we start with. Whitney hates making these, by the way. She makes (laughs) me feel so bad. Well, because it sucks trying to make something like how many years right here is on this yeah, we're only Timeline? covering um, almost 3,000 years. How do you make that look like... She wants it to be beautiful. Well, like, not even just that. You want time. it to also be accurate. And like, how do you make something look accurate when you're trying to fit 3,000 years into... Well, as complicated as this faith tradition is, we kept the timeline pretty pretty simple. And I want to point out... On the left side of our timeline, it says 3200 to 1500 BCE. In the Indus Valley, I'm going to bring up a map so everybody can see this. You can see these arrows pointing, 
and they cross from the Indus River and head kind of toward the Ganges River. Well, this area of the Indus Valley has some of the oldest artifacts from civilization that we are aware of. And some of these artifacts um, give evidence of an evolution of what we come to now understand and identify as the Hindu religion. But you'll see on this timeline, although there were people living there, somewhere around 1500 BCE, there's a decline in the civilization that's living there, and they don't really know why. Those rivers flood really easily, and that made for, honestly, good farming and and good living. You have a lot of civilizations that spread up around rivers like that. It could have been it could have been a change in the environment there. It could have been invaders. Uh, it could have been internal disruption. But somewhere around 1500, what you get going back to my map is this. Um, what do I want to say? This infusion of people that are called the Indo Aryans, and the Indo Aryans come from the west side of the Indus River. And most of the time, conquerors and conquests would stop around the area of that Indus River. This time, the people come forward, and they cross that Indus River, and they start setting up towns and communities in the Gangetic Plain, which is kind of this area that you can see the arrows pointing to um, themselves. Now, here's my first wait. What moment? We're gonna have a few of these people. of the night. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're gonna have a we're few. We're gonna have a few of these because it's Thursday night. Yeah. Uh, and by the way, we're up to 109 comments. So, 100. At, oh, 119 now. That's hard. Bang. So here's my wait. What moment of the night? How old do you think the term Hindu is? In describing the Hindu religion, like how long have people been called Hindus who practice Hinduism? And if you're out there in the comments, let me know what you think. And you can also guess Spencer's query, which is how many memes will I use? <laughs> Good luck with that. Tell it. Hey, Tim Fisher. All right, so here's why I've got this slide that says Sindhu Hindu Indus. The term Hindu, which is used to describe the Hindu faith, is actually very recent. This region that we looked at, where you saw the Indus River on like the northwest corner of the, I can show you again, of the area we we know as India, this was an area that was referred to in Sanskrit as Sindhu, right? But when the Persians came into this space, they change it to Hindu. And when the Greeks come in, they change it to Hindu or India. And this is the evolution of the naming. But for thousands of years, people who lived in this northern section of India would have been called Hindu, because it was actually a region. So you could even have Muslims who lived in that space who'd be identifying 
geographically as Hindu, it wasn't talking about their religion. That is a little bit of the Western influence, which attempted to kind of identify these folks as Hindu followers in religion. That has not always been what Hindu meant in that space. So Sindhu becomes Hindu becomes India. And that is kind of an evolution of how we understand this country known as India and the faith known as Hinduism. So if you were thinking like Hindus have always been Hindu religious followers, Mm -hmm. that's not true. That's actually Hmm. not exactly. Sounds similar. Right. So anyway, this is a space that you can recognize if you've ever looked at a world map. And this is the the area of um, India and you can see the area of Pakistan. And so in case you don't know this, Pakistan used to be India. This is actually a new creation that also grows out of Western influence and Mm. um, at least to some degree. And this happens after the British come in and take control over India and then end up leaving. And there's a freedom movement. We'll talk about a little bit of that next week. So if we go back to our timeline, we see that we have evidence of people living in this Indus Valley region for thousands of years And then we see this reference at the top. It says Vedic period, 1500 to 500 BC. What is happening? Okay, so that's about a thousand years. I get a little bit turned around when we're going this way. That's about a thousand years. Yeah, I know, because you're counting like backwards. Yes. So for about a thousand years, a thousand years, like let's just take that in for a minute. That's where all of these, well, the majority of these writings, which are now like the meat of Hinduism, that's the meat when they're and potatoes for a thousand years. Yes, around 1500, you start to see evidence of writings that become the written structure for what we know or what we identify today as the Hindu faith. This is the Vedic period, Veda in Sanskrit means knowledge. This would be the writing, this would be the language that was used in ancient times in this region of the world. So the Vedas become these books that are written to try to identify in different ways through like philosophy and through songs and through mantras. Is it through their history? Like it's from what they'd already learned, like what they were already practicing as a people. I'm sure as it like continues to evolve and stuff through that a thousand years. But that's what they're starting when 1500 BC, they're just starting to record what they were already practicing. Or So here's the difficulty in pinning down Hinduism for, for me, from my perspective. Like in the Vedic period, they begin writing these books, right? And they are a description of stories that are old, stories that have happened, mm-hmm. um, practices that have been passed down through oral tradition. But, but they're also sometimes projecting the present and maybe even moving the faith into the future. And so there's a lot of room in this space for the past, the present, and the future. Which is why it's a thousand years of it. It's always tied to the past. Um, right. And you see that 
when you look at the Vedas, if you've ever heard anybody talk about the Vedas in Hindu, there are basically four Vedas, and I think I skipped over them, but there's the Rig Veda, the Yajur Veda, the Sama Veda, and the Atharva Veda. These are the four main books that start documenting mantras, hymns, poems, stories, philosophy. Each one of these Vedas has, and, and hang on here, try to follow the, I have trouble following it even as I'm saying it. Each Veda has kind of subdivisions where it can be broken down. I would say four subdivisions. Some people might say five subdivisions that are described on this slide right here. But here's, here's the problem in getting into this text and trying to, to explain what's in all of these books. Not only are they different forms and different styles, these Vedas then give way to what are called the uh, Upanishads, and the Upanishads are a series of books that then come next. One book that comes in this series of writings that are taking place over this thousand years, from 1500 to 500, one of these books is called the Mahabharata. That one book which falls under the category of Veda and Upanishad, this one book is a series of poems, the longest poem in the world. This one book is four or five times the length of the Bible. Which is, okay, so in that book, well, that one specifically that you're naming. The Mahabharata? Yes. When Isn't I have, it beautiful? Don't you just yes, want to say that? When I it's, have looked it up, it, they talk about how it's like a, it's stories of like great heroes and mm -hmm. like their struggles. And earlier you and I were talking about, I had asked Ben earlier, like, do you think that you could hone in on any place in the world at any time in history and find something similar to the story of Jesus, like just like the things that he went through and the things that he preaches. We were kind of talking about that. And that's what all of this reminds me of. Like they have, it's like we have the story of Jesus that we follow in the life of Jesus. And the Vedas are like just like more, like there's just a lot of them. They're like telling so lots many of stories. stories. We have a lot of stories in the Christian and Judaic tradition. Yes. They have. But just part, but like this is all part of their main scripture. Our of, main scripture is like, it's the Bible. You know the length of the Bible. Like their main. It's 14 pages. Yeah. <laughs> 14. It's a lot of pictures as well. A lot of footnotes. Um, are you reading the Veda jokes that people are sharing? No, I, I don't have my Spencer? Facebook up then because <laughs> I would Veda. get too distracted. Darth Veda is really what made me go into a giggle fit over here. I mean, that was. That's oh, probably these are good. Jack says he has a Chevy, Chevy Veda. <laughs> um, okay. Yeah, so that it, within the Mahabharata, there is, we're going to talk about one of these stories next week. There is a story that's very important to Hindus called the Bhagavad Gita. And the Bhagavad Gita is a story that is a conversation between Arjuna and Krishna, who is an avatar or an incarnation of the god, I think, Vishnu. And it's a really important book to them, but that that's one story that's a really easy read. Part of the problem, it's not a problem, part of the complexity of Hinduism is there are so many of those stories 
people can gravitate to one that speaks to them. This is also the beautiful part, right? And and there's a surplus of them. Yeah. And so those stories will start to take shape in communities which become their inspiration. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing with gods, which we're going to get into here in a minute. People will worship specific gods who carry a, a kind of energy or a kind of presence or a kind of direction, and that really becomes the focus of their spiritual practice. Yes. But there's, I mean, a tropical rainforest bouquet of mm-hmm. things to choose from. Mm-hmm. It's just... Really incredible. So those are some of the books that you'll hear about, the Vedas, the Upanishads, um, and underneath all of those stories that come out of poems like the Mahabharata, the Bhagavad Gita. Um, we'll talk more about those next week, but I want to, to move from this volume of writing that they have that start with the Vedas, right, into the spiritual structure that they have. All right, so... Hang on a second. Um, I thought I had a wait what moment. It should be a wait what moment because here's my question to the group again. Group? Group. Is Hinduism monotheistic, polytheistic, or pantheistic? And here's where I need the Jeopardy music to. Is the glass half full, in. half empty? Is it? Or what's the or other it, one? Or is it completely full? Glass half empty? Glass half, isn't there a third option? Glass half empty, glass half full, and screw it, I'm thirsty. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> I'm just thinking of like a funny like Walmart t-shirt is what it's, is what's like. I thought there was a, yeah, okay. okay you think yes. about that. I don't have to. That it's a waste of my mental space. Um, Go ahead. Okay, I don't see any, any comments. Um, so here's what I'll tell you is another really interesting thing about Hinduism. I think you can make an argument it's all three. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, They have different gods, so you could make an argument that it's polytheistic. You can make an argument that it's pantheistic, um, that God is, you know, a tree or a river, that it's a very naturalist way of seeing Hinduism. But you can also make the argument, hang on, that it's monotheistic in this sense. The slide that I, I pulled up here a minute ago, um, says Brahman, Atman, and Maya. And here's the spiritual framework we're talking about. In Hinduism, they do believe, generally speaking, in a single source of creation. Now, it would be a different way of talking about God than we, than we do. But there is this idea that the Brahman is the creative source of the universe. And is the universe, right? The idea becomes that in Hinduism, what you're trying to do is you're trying to connect to this original source, like a drop of rain returning to the ocean, right? That our Atman is our individual self that is actually part of the Brahman. And so you'll see at times it like hyphenated, Atman Brahman, because they're the same thing. We come from this source of creation, and the goal is to become, right, one with our source. Now, that should kind of feel somewhat familiar to all of us. Holy Spirit, maybe? Right? I was going to say, you could make this argument about Christianity. 
that we're returning to our source when we well, that, go to heaven? Well, that it could be monotheistic, that it could be polytheistic. Like, I think even the term avatars, to me, like, I... I would interpret that differently, or I did interpret that differently before I started reading about Hinduism, because it felt like it met like okay, that's we'll get into that. All right, Let's well, the the are Christians polytheistic would not get any traction in Christianity, but outside of Christianity, like in Judaism, there are questions about how we're monotheistic if in fact. We worship a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, right. and that's very foreign to some of our brothers and sisters. Right. The Maya in this framework that I was giving you is like the sense of ego, right? So the Atman is, you'd hear Catholics like Thomas Merton say, our true self, right? The Maya could be your false self, and the goal is to identify your true self in returning to oneness with the Brahman. There's also this notion of Dharma, and Dharma plays a significant role in understanding the Indian caste system or the Hindu caste system. Um, Dharma is like your your duty, your responsibility, your gift, what you're here to do to accomplish your role. Karma is so karma is an interesting concept. Mm-hmm. Tell me why. Well, I think that most Westerners think that karma is a very Eastern concept in that it says, and they think that karma says, okay, if you do good, good okay. comes back to you. You do bad, bad comes back to you, right? And we come up with these funny sayings like karma is a bitch, which just means like you go out and do some shady things. Shady, Shady things, things gonna happen, happen man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But um, which I believe, right? So here, well, here, let me share some. Let me share some. Here's, <laughs> here's our notion of karma yeah. in action, right bit. here, right? A or something like that. Here's a little karma for is that you. Shit on the bird. <laughs> that is <laughs> what goes around. You do some shady things, man, and if you put ears on your brother, <laughs> then cute. who knows what happens. But here's your wait, what moment. How are there so many of these that exist? <laughs> the interwebs, my sister. The meme generator. Interwebs, they're unbelievable. Okay, so, um, ooh, we're at 133, 134 comments. So here's why I say that. The idea that karma is Hindu in nature, um, the idea that, you know, Hinduism is is the meditation on do good, good comes back to you, do bad, bad comes back to you, and how that plays into reincarnation. I want you to I want you to just take a look at this text. We're gonna do more of this next week. We're gonna compare some writings from Christianity oh, and Judaism. I love doing this. And Hinduism. This is an ex- excerpt out of the Mahabharata that I referenced earlier, and out of Galatians. Speaking of karma, the Mahabharata says, a man himself sows, so he himself reaps. And Paul writes in Galatians, a man reaps what he sows. And we don't attach karma or sin to reincarnation, 
But part of what we're going to see next week when we examine these texts in Christianity and Hinduism is that Hinduism isn't the only sacred literature that talks about the idea of coming back, of reincarnation. And most people have probably skipped that Wait, so in the this, Old and New Testament. And are you saying that this scripture, like these two verses are alluding to that? Well, these two verses are alluding to the idea that when you do good, yes. right, you receive good. Okay. And when yes. you do bad, you do bad. Yes. And so whether you call it sin right. in the Christian lineage or right. whether you call it karma right. in the Hindu lineage, you have very, very, very similar thoughts See, on doing good. I was always presented with Galatians 6, 7, a man rapes what he sows, right before the tithing bucket was passed around. <laughs> I wish I was joking. Well, I don't like, know. That Hindus was, may use it the same way. That was know. that was the extent of that um, of that verse for me was if you tie this amount, you will receive this amb- like this ambiguous check in the mail from God that um, repays you. So, okay, people are paying really good attention because we've got some really funny comments out there. Those of us in the banking world call those big checks fraud. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, um, all right. So what was I saying? Oh, yeah. Let me go back. Let me go back. Because we were talking about dharma, karma, and reincarnation. So this is the framework. Most people think of karma as this do good, get good, do bad, uh, you know, get bad. Actually, the goal in Hinduism, and I would argue the goal in Christianity and in Judaism Uh, and Islam, uh, and other faith traditions, is to do good not because the reward that you're anticipating, right? But the goal is to become at one with your source so that you're acting out of this place that recognizes selflessness, that recognizes we're all tied to the ocean, right? We're all raindrops returning to the ocean. But you're not doing it because you want to be king in the next lifetime. Yeah. You're doing it because you want to reach this point of full release, right? Of oneness. And in doing that, this is where it takes you. But it's not really directed at trying to make you rich or famous, no, it's, it's not, not a well. Person. It's not meant to be a threat. It's not a threat. It's it's a it's a it's a series of events. Is what it is. Ooh, it's a series. Are you going lemony stickets? Stickets. All right, I'm getting out of that. This is <laughs> this is ultimately the goal, right here, Maksha. And so, if you find your release, right? If you find your return to oneness with Brahman, you become the Atman Brahman. Then you have found Maksha. So much less bloody than ours. Oh, not not (laughs) not all of it. it. I'm sure we. Yeah, there's plenty. Yeah, people and love their blood. So, um, additionally, I wanted to talk about these guys right here because I mentioned that you could make this argument for monotheism. Um, depending on how you see it in Hinduism, these three gods are basically the Hindu trinity. Does that sound familiar? 
the word Trinity. Does that sound familiar? Hang on, stay with me. So Brahma is the creator, and Brahma is kind of the ultimate source, right? But there are two other gods tied into this trinity of like top tier gods, and they are Vishnu, the preserver, and Shiva, the destroyer. These are the trinity within, for for lack of a better term, within Hinduism. Mm -hmm. And Brahma is essentially the the one creator. That's not to be confused with Brahman, which is the source, right? The oneness. Those Those are not the same things technically. These are gods that represent kind of the highest level of God creation. Now, here's your... Next, wait, what moment? Oh, <laughs> who was doing something to that kitty? I bring up the Trinity within, um, or the, the three God, right, triumvirate within Hinduism because Christianity has something very similar to that in the concept of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And some of our brother-sister religions don't really get that part of us. What is I was going to say, I understand their multiple gods more than I do because they have separate, re- like they're like, they have a specific reason slash moral, like they bring this one energy. Yes. And the Holy Spirit, like I never understood the purpose or the distinction between any of them. Like it's so murky, it felt like for me in the way I was brought up with it. So it's a hard concept, I think, to understand in Christianity. It's very nebulous. It's very vague. It's very mysterious. And we're not always great at teaching that or holding on to that. Or letting anyone ask questions about it. So Now, I talked about avatars of the gods, and this is an example of avatars of Vishnu. And so Rama and Krishna are avatars or incarnations of those gods that appear in the stories. Krishna is in the story that we talked about earlier, the Bhagavad Gita. One more wait what moment for tonight because do you know who you know that is an avatar (laughs) (laughs) or an incarnation of God as recognized in Hindu? Okay, that wasn't a very good. It's fine. You can can redeem yourself. I'm not sure I could do it. Okay. Uh, rewrite. We. <laughs> I don't know how to say it. All right, I'm just going to do this. Have you heard of Jesus? Have you heard of Jesus? You know a guy named Jesus? Ladies and gentlemen. Meet him. For many Hindus, Jesus is an avatar or incarnation of God. And this book that I've got pulled up That's right how here. I would see him. Called The Sermon on the Mount, according to Vedanta was done by Swami Pravafadanda. It's impressive. Buddy. And actually it's How can you read that? Pravafananda. I get confused a little bit. I can barely see that. I can't read it with my old man eyes. This book is essentially a meditation and exploration of the Sermon on the Mount. And this is a Hindu Swami, a well-known Hindu Swami. Um, I've read this book. It's it's fascinating. You have? Uh-huh. You said that like I was in trouble. <laughs> no, well, I, I was just I was just about to ask, like, I would, I'm wondering if there's any 
um, like differences in the way that Jesus is represented in here compared to our Bible? Well, um, there, I've never read an outside perspective of Jesus. Is there is you can you can read this book. I I think it's on Audible. Um, it's not a long read, and now I'm we lost I'm it. reading Kirsten's note about Ganesh. Um, this is a fascinating book because it's so interesting to hear someone from a different faith tradition adopt Jesus's teaching and give their perspective on what this means. And I'll tell you that I think for a lot of Christians, we read the Sermon on the Mount and specifically the Beatitudes, which is really what this book is about. I mean, because the Sermon on the Mount can be interpreted as longer than that. But the Beatitudes, you know, blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek, blessed are the poor in spirit. This is the focus of this book. And basically his point is, this is it. Like, this is the path in 12 steps, right? This is what you're called to be. And I think we have a tendency to think of this as some kind of spiritual doctrine that's unattainable. Mm -hmm. But in the Hindu tradition, this is exactly what you should be thinking. This, This is life. This is what we should be doing. Um, this is what we should be reading into, and it's a. I think it's a really cool exploration of that. So, I would agree. If you're ever interested, the Sermon on the Mount, according to Vedanta, interested. and Vedanta is just a, um, like a uh, a school of thought. They have a lot of different schools of thought of Hinduism, kind of like we do denominations, I guess. So it's like Baptist, but not really. But not like Baptist. All right, my last concept that I'm going to share tonight is the concept of varnas, which is Sanskrit for basically the caste system. And the caste system is old, right? Like super old, like could date back the whole 3000 years to the Vedas. So they really come out of this Vedic writing period. Okay, Um, They're located in that section, so probably not in terms of formal caste system beyond 1500 BCE, but I mean... Well, but that's kind of how they were structured. It, it is. It's how... It, without it, it being in writing. In writing. Um, yeah, and once it becomes in committed to writing, there are interesting things that happen. You know, once pen is put to paper, and there are people who will say that the caste system was not intended to be rigid. It wasn't intended to be something you're born into and can't move out of, but it does become that at some point. And you can see, this is kind of a colored diagram of the caste system itself with Brahmins at the top. Those are the priestly and academic class. You notice that the priests always find their way to the top of the pyramid. <laughs> if I rolled my eyes hard enough, as hard the as I The people writing the books... Funny how that happens, and the laborers at Seems the bottom. biased, just a little bit. Just I needed like a union, a union yes sticker or something like that to <laughs> represent for the laborers in this portion. Um, and then at the bottom, that is what some people um, street cleaner distri- describe as the untouchables in India. Untouchables. That's harsh. It's rather harsh, and so you might be thinking. Yeah, dude, that's really harsh. You know, I was I was not even in the pyramid. Reading a, a Hindu um, 
Swami, a Hindu teacher who was talking about how in the West, our caste system is so much worse Mm. because he said it's all about money. Like it's all tied to money. Now you can argue that it's not worse. It is worse. It's, but you can't argue that it's tied to money. I thought that, I thought that's what you were going to say, and I well, was going to say no. Absolutely, you cannot argue that. But you you might you might just think about this. Just think about this again. Let's not be any more critical than anybody else than we will be of ourselves. This is a you might say caste system from you know Western Europe of not that long ago with the Pope and the church and the monarchs and the nobles and the knights and the vassals and the merchants and down at the bottom, the peasants and the serfs. There is a movement out of this caste system in India as there has been a movement out of this you know, European feudal system mm-hmm. um, in the West. And mm-hmm. it's been at times ugly for us. It's been at times ugly for them. It still is. But when you think about... The structure of things we've talked about tonight, the the idea of a single source of creation, the idea of God's um, being an incarnation, right? We speak of Christ as being an incarnation of the one true God. Mm -hmm. When you talk about comparisons between ideas of sin and karma, um, when you think about um, ideas like the caste system and how all of us have become or been products of systems that create hierarchies that are often leveraged through wealth or occupation. Even when you just think about the location on the planet where all of this is happening, mm-hmm. I mean, all of this is happening just a little bit east of where Abraham is also developing, building this idea of monotheism in the Judaic tradition mm-hmm. in Asia Minor. Right. Right? Basically, modern-day Israel. Mm-hmm. If you just move from modern-day Israel to the east a little bit, past the Indus River, this is where the next great faith tradition comes from. Hinduism is the soil out of which Buddhism grows, Jainism, um, Sikhism. So we're going to talk about some of those faiths in the coming weeks. But Hinduism and Judaism, which are close in geography and starting very close in time, about 1500 to 2000 BCE, end up being the soil for most of the world's religions. Just those two, mm-hmm. like those two matches lit. And I just think it's fascinating, that's all. And it's a lot to take in, and it's very different. The imagery is different. The concepts are different. You're probably thinking, well, what about yogas, and what about the Om symbol, and you know, what about meditation? Um, we're going to talk about that stuff. But next week. We'll have to get to it next week. Modern For tonight... This is how we're going to close in a verse. We're only at 143 comments. You guys just have to like <laughs> type in a high five. 
if you're hanging on. Ben already lost one game tonight, please. Yeah, I did. This is our last slide for the night, and this is a quote from the Isha Upanishad. You want to read it for us? Okay. The wise man, but what? Okay. Ben, you're going to tell me to read this, and I've never read it before? All right, let me do it. Please do. do. Oh. Don't, don't let me ruin this for people. <laughs> the wise man betholds all beings in the self, and the self in all beings. For that reason, he does not hate anyone. To the seer, all things have verily become the self. What delusion, what sorrow... Can there be for him who beholds this oneness? Oh my gosh, that's beautiful. I can't believe you didn't send me that before tonight. I'm sorry. I I'll do better that. next week. I expect better for sure. That's beautiful. It's <laughs> Jack's on fire tonight, man. <laughs> All right. So that is our entry into Hinduism this week. I know it's a lot to, to bite off. Um, but just let that sit with you and come back. There's a lot more to explore and yeah. let's see where we'll next talk, week takes us. We'll talk some modern day stuff. So thanks so much for joining us tonight. This was a lot of fun. Hope you learned something. If you have questions, please reach out. We'd love to answer them. Uh, ben would love to answer them. <laughs> so have a wonderful weekend, friends. We love you. We will see you next week. Stay warm out there, everybody. <laughs>